Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jake Mathis, and this is from Bob's office. It is currently 11.10 a.m. on, is it Tuesday? Tuesday, April 21st, 2020. I thought it was Wednesday all day, to be fully honest. <laughs> it's only been a couple hours. Yep. I'm Jake Mathis, and sitting here with uh, I'm Jacob Bomber. And the next voice you hear belongs to a 2018 graduate of Long Beach Poly High School, where he was in the challenging CIC program and a member of the cross-country and track teams. He is currently working as an EMT while completing his schooling towards his goal of becoming a firefighter. And he is a big part of why this podcast we do even exists. So feel free to thank or blame him for that. Ladies and gentlemen, Antonio Jorgensen. What's going on, everyone? My name's Antonio. I'm really excited to be here. Truly honored to be invited on to here and so excited to, uh, yeah, talk. <laughs> so I lead in with this talk of radio show podcast. Um, we did talk about it on our inaugural episode. Inaugural? I feel like that's a yearly thing in our first episode. Um, but for those who didn't care about listening to the first episode, kind of give, give us an explanation of what radio show I'm talking about and why that is important. Yeah, so I was on a uh, kind of radio show on the UCI radio station with my buddy Kyle Van Lant, and he kind of invited me in because he had been doing it with his buddy Flynn, and he had a late night kind of radio hour on Saturday nights at the UCI radio station, and they had, you know, tons of equipment there, and he said, hey, you want to come out and, you know, do some stuff? You'd play music for about an hour. And then we'd just talk for the second hour. And we were doing that for a couple of weeks and stuff. And we had Jacob on there one week and stuff and just had a blast, a great time talking about faith and all kinds of other cool topics and stuff like that. And that's kind of how uh, what we did on our end and stuff. And then Jacob started his podcast here. And, yeah, that was kind of how it started, just the little simple gist of it. And Kyle had been doing the show for a while. Like, I know you weren't necessarily involved in every episode and weren't involved, like, the whole time. But he, he'd he been doing it for a couple months, right? Oh, yeah. You know, Up I don't know point. exactly how long it was. I want to say maybe six months or something that he'd been yeah. doing it as a radio show. And, and I had stuff. no idea because he never posts about anything. And he, like, so there's no sense that he was doing that. And so I didn't know until you posted about it because you were on one particular Saturday with him. And I was at, I was at an angel game when I saw your post. I was like, what the heck? Cause you guys were on the radio live. So I tuned in for, I don't know, probably five to 10 minutes while I was at the angel game. And, and I, you guys were having a conversation about like writing and the writing process or something like that. And I was like, this is actually a dope conversation. And so I think I texted you. I don't know if I, I don't remember if I texted you during it or right at the end of it. Yeah, it was, was something. Like, yeah, same day, though. Yeah. I was like, this is so cool that you guys are doing this. And I was just like, uh, what do I have to do to just sit there and watch you guys do this? And then because that would just be cool to just be in the room while it's happening. And then Kyle was like, you can just be on the show. It's like, oh, <laughs> and and we had a really, really great conversation, and it just made me really decide that that setting was really cool to have in-depth conversations with people, relatively normal 
conversation that you could have in like a one-on-one or three or four person setting. But those conversations are usually just between those few people and then that's it. So the ability to have some really cool conversation and to share it with people, um, I was like, this is a huge opportunity and I love listening to podcasts. And so it just on my drive home from being there with you guys, I was stoked on the idea. I texted Jake right away and, and here we are 40, you're our 42nd, <coughs> 42nd yeah. episode of From Box <laughs> Office. So that's awesome. Yeah. So. And you are looking to start your own, so I keep bugging you and encouraging you to do that because that'll be yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. Question of when. So, <laughs> so when it does, we will we will give it a shout out, and all of our three listeners, we will encourage to go listen to you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I mentioned previously that you are currently uh, an EMT and working towards becoming a firefighter. Um, the first part of that conversation I want to have is what. A, you you said you're a specific kind of EMT. Um, what does that look like? And what does it look like to have that job at the moment and to be doing the schooling that you're doing while we are in this quarantine? What does all of that look like? Yeah, you know, everyone's been having like a totally uh, relaxed time, saying like, oh, they're bored, they have nothing to do. I have somehow found myself in a whirlpool of still being busy. You know, I was kind of looking forward to it and I'm like, well, I'm still busy here again. So (laughs) as Jacob had said, you know, I am an EMT. Um, I do, I'm just a regular EMT. So nationally, uh, all EMTs are on the same, uh, kind of level, same scope of practice, but I work something called, uh, IFT, which is inner facility transport. And that means that I don't really respond to 911 calls, um, I transport people between one hospital and another. It could be for a load of different reasons, multitude of different reasons. It could be insurance. It could be that hospital doesn't have the type of care that they need for that person and stuff. So I run BLS calls, which are just basic life support. I have worked ALS shifts before, which is with another paramedic and stuff. So not as exciting as 911, but unfortunately you have to be full-time have full-time availability if you want to do 911. And yeah. with school, I just can't do full-time yeah. work and uh, 911 as well. Um, so balancing that, you know, everyone's like, oh, gosh, you must be so busy right now and stuff. I still only work on the ambulance. So calls have gone down. People aren't going to the hospital anymore. They're just trying to stay away. So our call volume's actually been really low. Um, I've had a couple shifts that have been cut. Uh, just because the volume has been so low and the company is trying to survive. Which um, is like a good thing. Yeah, exactly. People are not yeah. hurt or sick or whatever. Yeah, I, I think it goes to show, too, how many people go to the hospital that might really not even need to be there and stuff. You always <laughs> yeah. hear, like, medics and stuff frustrated because, like, you know, this person really doesn't need to go to the hospital, but they say they want to go, and then they have to take them and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. But as things progress, um, depending on how the work goes with this coronavirus thing, I might end up doing some kind of work related to that. You know, I have transported confirmed patients already. Um, I transported one about a month ago now, so pretty early on. Um, but that was an interesting experience and stuff, and it was um, 
cool to do that and I was glad to kind of help out and be a part of it. But so far, no other coronavirus patients. I almost I mean, had so, one. Yeah. As I'm saying, so you obviously take a ton of precautions just in that field anyway, because you never know what you could be exposed to. Mm-hmm. Are there extra precautions that are taken when that person has COVID? Like, do you do anything different? I feel like you're just always in the position where you have to protect yourself as much as possible. Yeah, you know, so the standard PPE, at least for IFT, which is the same as 911, really, um, because IFT, you're always going to know what the patient has before you transport them because they've already been looked at by a doctor or a nurse, some kind of skilled physician. So our minimum PPE is gloves, uh, non-latex gloves, and that's kind of usually pretty standard. It depends on what they, they have, though, so... With like coronavirus, it's a droplet precaution, but we basically take uh, airborne precaution. Well, we take droplet precaution, which is we wear a gown. Usually it's a disposable gown, not a hazmat suit. It's just a gown that covers your arms, um, your leg, kind of like a cooking apron with arms, if you think about it. You've probably seen like <laughs> okay. pictures of them and stuff. Yeah. And we wear our regular gloves as well that we do on assessment, we wear eye protection, so just some kind of goggles, and then an N95 mask, or at least a surgical mask. Um, so yeah, I usually, I try to get an N95, but that's our minimum PPE, and usually, unfortunately, that's kind of the supplies and resources we have now, so yeah. that's, you know, we're using kind of the minimum PPE, so that's what it looks like if you're transporting a patient, yeah. So every type, every patient that has kind of a different condition or whatever, you have different protocols based on whatever the condition is. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, I was doing 911 and I went up on a call that involved, you know, some kind of car accident or something, you know, obviously my PP would include, you know, a reflective vest, helmet, but I'd also want to wear my safety glasses as well because uh, any kind of blood or blood splashing up into your eyes and stuff can be. Uh, pretty bad and stuff. So any kind yeah. of uh, thing that involves fluids, you usually want to wear the goggles as well. So yeah, it's pretty dynamic. It changes, you know, from call to call. Yeah. So what, so how long have you been doing that? I've been doing this since February. So pretty new, only a couple months here. So yeah, ran into that. But I have, I've been an EMT since June. So You go through a whole national registry process. You take a national test. You get your national card. And then at that point, you're a nationally certified EMT. But I've been working for my current company since February. What company is that? It's PRN Ambulance. Yeah, so their station is out of Carson. That's where I go. They have four stations. They have one in Carson, Glendale, East L.A., and North Hills, which is like the Valley of Los Angeles. And that's where I started working because they had no shifts in Carson. Was North Hills? Yeah, it was just a terrible drive. But the COVID uh, incident hit, and then suddenly my my commute went down a lot. So I was doing that. And then (laughs) I actually took my friend's shift who left. He works 911 now for McCormick Ambulance, and he left PRN Ambulance. And I was able to take over his shift at Carson, which is – it's really nice. I – Instead of working from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. on Fridays, I work from 12 in the afternoon to 11 at night now on Saturdays. So the hours are a little better. That's a good way better. (laughs) Definitely. 
Is the ambulance industry a competitive one? I feel like there are so many different ambulance companies. Is that, I don't even understand how that works in terms of like being profitable and who has what contracts. Like that's just weird to me. Yeah, it's an extremely profitable uh, business. And to answer your first question about the kind of competitive market, we don't see that as EMTs, but behind the scenes, there's definitely lots of competition. My company, PRN Ambulance, uh, had some of the best response times and stuff for the IFT and, you know, moving patients between hospitals that they secured Kaiser, a contract with Kaiser Hospitals in L.A. County. So we're the primary IFT for Kaiser. So it's huge. They really take pride in that there. And we're the biggest IFT company in all of L.A. County uh, because of that. So So does that come from them just making sure that they're only hiring like the best or the most qualified? Or is it do they have like really good training? How how does one company? I don't you know, I want to say it's almost luck because a lot of these IFT companies, including mine, um, as long as you're an EMT, you're going to get a spot. You know, I came in there. This is my first job. Um, and, you know, I had really no experience besides some of the other firefighting stuff that I might talk about later, which I think helped. But yeah. they really do hire uh, anyone because there's they can't get enough EMTs, really, um, because the turnover is so quick. People only work these jobs for six months to a year yeah. and then leave. Um, so. I, I, you know, I don't think it's really at the hiring process. I think it's almost kind of luck how big the company can make themselves, how many units they can have, how many EMTs they can afford to hire. Because, you know, when they get the phone call from Kaiser, they need to have an ambulance free to pick up that patient. Mm -hmm. So a lot of other companies, I think, are too small to compete with them. So, yeah. So not necessarily the hiring. Um, The training, they don't really like train you to like, oh, drive 100 miles on miles per hour on the <laughs> yeah. freeway to get there faster. That's not, you know, there was none of that in my training at least. So, yeah, I think it's kind of luck and how big the company is that kind of determines that. Got it. So kind of transitioning more towards the firefighting conversation, when did this become what you knew you wanted to do? Like when did that passion start and why did it start? All right, so this is kind of kind of a long story. Um, you know, I've always wanted to be a firefighter since I was a young kid. You know, since I saw my first fire truck up here in North Long Beach Station 11, I was just totally like, that's exactly what I want to do. It's cool and stuff. And, you know, I had seen some fires and stuff, not live ones, but, you know, they were putting them out and finishing yeah. up in my neighborhood. And I was like, you know, that's really what I want to do. And... I was kind of gung-ho about that till about fifth grade. And then I was, you know, kind of pretty studious and stuff in middle school. So I was thinking about maybe I want to do something science-related, you know, didn't really know. And, you know, I was in high school, like, thinking, what am I going to do? And then I started thinking about the firefighting things more. I saw, you know, was watching some videos on YouTube, seeing things on Instagram, and stuff, and I was like, why am I not pursuing this? Like, this is totally what I want to do and stuff, and, it, you know, sophomore year, when I was 16, is when I started to really think about it and really try to actively pursue it. Or was it junior year? I think it was junior year. 
sorry, junior year is when I really started to pursue it. You know, I went to two fire museums and stuff and I started volunteering at the Long Beach Firefighters Museum. And that's when I joined. Junior year is really when it took off. You know, I joined the LA County Fire Explorer program. And then a year after that, when I was a senior, I joined Long Beach Search and Rescue. And I'm still a member of both of those uh, units um, as well. They're temporarily shut down right now, but I'm still uh, technically a member of both of them. And, yeah, and that's, you know, and I went to EMT school and all that and just trying to build up the resume. So, yeah. So for those who don't know, explain what explorers and search and rescue are. Like what it- what do they do? What are the differences? Yeah, so LA County uh, Explorers, what I do is with the Los Angeles County Fire Department, people may or may not notice that the local fire engine or truck that shows up to your house is from a different department depending on where you live. So LA County has their own fire department, which basically covers any city in LA County that doesn't provide their own fire protection. Uh, L.A. County Fire Department is the second largest fire department in the United States um, when it comes to number of stations, uh, not number of personnel. But, yeah, they have a great exploring program, a great fire academy. And the Explore program is a program for youth ages 15 to 21 who are interested in a career in the fire service. And you can join this program. The a whole Explore program is kind of getting a new face right now, but originally there were 22 posts, one for each battalion, which is a group of stations. A battalion is a group of stations. And there were 22 of these around the whole county. And there's about 173 fire stations um, in L.A. County Fire Department. Uh, it's changed. Don't quote me on that, please. <laughs> <laughs> and... So yeah, there was each post. You would join a post, uh, be there for about a year, and if they liked you, and if you worked hard and did well, they would send you to the Los Angeles County Fire Department Explorer Academy, which was a six-week academy on the weekend, so 12 days total, and you learned you had to shave your head, do all kinds of firefighting activities and stuff, and that opens you up to be able to do ride-alongs at the fire station and really be a lot more hands-on and stuff. So I went to that academy almost three years ago. No, two years ago, yeah. About two years ago is when I went to that and stuff. And, yeah, that's what that program is about. And you always, you're learning about, you go to weekly meetings, you learn about all kinds of fire stuff related to firefighting in general, and then firefighting specifically for L.A. County Fire. Because each department does their own thing a different way. They're all pretty similar, but certain departments have their own little, you know, tweaks on how they do things. So, yeah. So then what, what is search and rescue? What does that look like? How's that different? So Long Beach search and rescue is also an explorer post, but it is completely different uh, in my opinion. And it's completely different on what it does. It's still related to firefighting. It's not associated with Los Angeles County Fire Department, but Long Beach Fire Department. Long Beach Fire Department's a little uh, smaller. They have 23 fire stations, you know, three battalions. So it's just one post. They don't have three separate ones. It's one post. And we're focused on urban search and rescue. And it's same age, 15 to 21. Their joining process is a little different. You can only join when you're 15 to 18. 
So if you're 19, 20, or 21, you can't join. You're too old. Uh, that's just how it's been. That's how they run it. That's different than most other Explorer posts. It's a little harder to get into search and rescue. You have to go through an interview process, and then if you get selected from the interview, you go into a physical agility exam. And basically, if you make it past the interview, you're in the candidate pool. You just have to pass the agility. So no one gets really cut from the agility unless they can't do it. Um, but it is fairly competitive. You know, they only take about a little less than 50% of the people who interview will actually get a spot. Um, this last cycle, we had a hundred and something people interview for 45 spots. Mm. So it, it is a little competitive, but you know, as long as you've done well in school and stuff like that, you're going to make it through. And then what search and rescue actually does is we meet on Tuesday nights from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. And we'll learn different skills, just like at L.A. County uh, Fire Explorer Program related to firefighting. But we're also sponsored by the Long Beach um, Motor Patrol Association. So the motorcycle cops, they sponsor us as well. Right. So we do do some police stuff um, on the side as well, which is cool because you get kind of both aspects and learn about it. And it's totally different, you know. You go through the academy in the beginning. So when you become a member, you've already attended their academy. Their academy is not as difficult, in my opinion. You don't have to shave your head. It's <laughs> just not as demanding as the L.A. County one. Um, but it's it's cool. It's unique. And we respond to emergency callouts in the city as well. So anytime there's a large fire or large shooting, uh, the police department or the fire department can call us out and we'll go there and provide assistance and whatever that means. We call it assistance, but what it really means is bringing our food truck out and feeding people. That's kind of <laughs> what it means in reality. Yeah, it, it feels pretty dicey to just like have 17-year-olds out on the scene and expect them to be taking yeah. part in serious stuff. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so talking about kind of that food truck, um, we have nine vehicles at Search and Rescue. And uh, we... You know, people always ask me this and kind of get confused at the call-outs. We're, how I describe it is, we are an urban search and rescue team, but if someone's house collapsed right now in Long Beach, the fire department would respond because they have their own urban search and rescue team. The We are kind of a type 2 um, Cal, California Office of Emergency Services medium rescue team that's available as a resource for either tools and equipment or if there's a large earthquake, so meaning all the fire departments, all the big, the big, the big shots or whatever, you know, are <laughs> doing their thing and they need more people. That's when we come into play. So we're kind of a standby volunteer team for larger scale incidents. So that's why we really don't do a lot of real world stuff like in something like this. We are helping right now, though, with the coronavirus um, pandemic thing down long beach fire has their own whole headquarters thing um set up so we are helping at that so we help at mainly big incidents so yeah Got it. so what part of the process are you at now and what are the next steps for you to become like a hired working firefighter yeah so the big question you know what are the next steps and stuff and it kind of depends you know First of all, I don't know when I'm going to get hired. It could be 
the next year. It could be in two years or it could be in 10 years. Yeah, I really have no clue. And it's, there's a whole bunch of factors. The next step for me right now, at least, is to finish my degree. Um, I might try to do some wildland firefighting in between my school years. You can get a summer job doing that. So I might, I'm too late for this summer and I kind of just learned about, you know, how good of an opportunity it is right now. Um, so I, I, I might look after my junior year into doing that because you need to apply like in November Got it. to be able to secure a spot for the summer and stuff. Um, at least being on a wildland crew. And that would be kind of the next step for me. But yeah, finishing degree in that. And hopefully after that, I should be able to get picked up and stuff. But it's, you know, who knows? Some people do that and then they don't get hired at all and stuff. And I I don't think it'll come to that. Um, I was, I, I was the first person that I know of who decided uh, to join two explorer posts, you know, as I had mentioned, most people only do one. And then after I did that, I've, there's two other people who have done it, you know, in the past two years who joined both LA County and Long Beach Search and Rescue. Um, just trying to beef up the resume because it gets more competitive every year and stuff. And there's private fire academies that I could go to as well if I want, but those take like four months and that wouldn't really work with my school schedule. I can't yeah. really do that and school. So that's going to be kind of my last resort. Um, I could go to paramedic school as well, but paramedic school is pretty expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have the experience that I need as an EMT to be able to apply and go to them, but it's starting off at like 10 grand just to go to paramedic school. And, and I've, it's, I've heard yeah. that getting finishing paramedic school, like, is a really good way to get hired quick, but then you get hired as a fire paramedic. Yeah. Kind of stuck in that role as opposed to. Exactly. Else, so. You're stuck in that role and you can't really like say like, Oh, I want to work on the truck. So for people who don't know to know the difference in fire stations, they have a truck and an engine. The truck is the one with the big ladder that you see on the back. Yeah. The engine is the normal, you know, kind of smaller one that you see come to your house with the water and stuff. And, so yeah, as a firefighter paramedic, you really, if you get hired on like that, they're not, they're probably not going to let you go on the truck, which <laughs> is one of the cooler things to do. Cause you're like, you're like too valuable. Because right. Aren't and enough. they want you on the ambulance. You're probably going to get stuck, you know, on the ambulance or the squad, um, yeah. depending on where it is. So you're not going to have a whole lot of say of where you go. And then if you're hired, the department will pay for you to go to paramedic school if you go then. Um, Which is another reason that they hire people who've already done it so that they don't have to pay for it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I've heard from a lot of people that's the golden ticket, but depending on the department, sometimes they don't like to hire people who are already paramedics. Long Beach, you know, tends to see, you know, I was surprised to hear this. My buddy Asher, um, he's also doing the same thing as me, very close pathway. Long Beach Church and Rescue, LA County Fire Explorer as well. He spoke with one of the training chiefs for Long Beach and they say that, you know, when they see guys who come in with their paramedics license, at least he thinks that like they tried to find a shortcut to getting hired and stuff. So depending on, 
you know, what department it is, they may see it as, oh, hey, we really like that. And some may say, like, it, you know, this guy's just trying to cheat the system. So just kind of depends on the personality of those in charge. And yeah, way. exactly. And most of the time, it's a good thing, though. So but I think the next step for me is, you know, this has been a new kind of development for me is I'm probably going to join the military uh, after college. And I'm trying to pursue a career in uh, Air Force pararescue, which is very similar to there. So Air Force pararescue is part of Air Force special operations, and they're basically special operations medics, um, both domestically and internationally. And it's really cool because you get your national paramedic certification, which most medics in the military do not have. So like... Okay. A medic who's on either an infantry platoon or a SEAL team does not have his national certification, but pararescue men do get their national certification so they can help out domestically at incidents like hurricanes, earthquakes, and things like that. And it's a super cool job, and it's very competitive to get into, though. They have an assessment and selection program, and only, like... 10 to 20% of people who try out uh, make it through. And it's very hair-raising. Uh, they, you know, they induce stress and stuff. And it's a, they used to have an indoctrination course where if you were still standing at the end, you made it. You became a PJ. Oh but God. now it's assessment and selection. So now if you make it through that whole process, they can still say, hey, we don't want you, you know, boot Please. out the door. So that's a lot more intimidating and it takes, it's going to take a lot of guts, I think, to join because, you know, you sign a contract. So you're bound yeah. to doing, you know, four or six years, whatever it is. And if I don't become a PJ, I'm going to have to, you know, wrestle with that as like, well, you know, I could probably be a firefighter by now, but instead I'm doing this. And, you know, it was, so it's, it's it's a very cool job, and, you know, I hope that I'm able to achieve that goal, and it was kind of faith in God that kind of brought me towards that is the next step. And when did thing. that when did that opportunity even present itself? You know, I had been interested in it, and, you know, you can kind of, you could see this, the Navy SEAL flag in the background that's a Navy SEAL trident. I had been thinking for a while, like, I've, you know, I read a lot of leadership books and stuff like that, as Jacob knows, and a lot, a couple of them have been by Navy SEALs and stuff, and I was like, this is cool stuff, you know, I want to get into this and stuff, and, but it was more so of, like, I couldn't, like, decide, I was like, man, I could be a firefighter, but, like, I really want to do this, you know, to develop myself and to really become better and to do something much bigger than myself and to try to contribute and serve my country and firefighters still do that. But for, I kept, you know, having this nagging feeling towards this. So I was thinking about it for a while and stuff. And this is only within like the past seven or eight months that this kind of popped into my mind. I had never really considered it as an option because my, you know, my parents are pretty against it. They'd always said like, don't join the military. It's a bad idea. But then I started meeting more and more people who, enjoyed being in the military and enjoyed their experiences and stuff and I was like you know this is really something I could do and 
you know, there was, you know, started following some pages. I'm with a group called SoCal Athlete, which is a prep group for special operations, career fields and stuff. And yeah, you know, I was wrestling with this idea and stuff of like, is this something that I really want to do? And I had listened to a podcast <laughs> um, with the owner of this current company that I'm a part of, SOCOM Athlete, and he was sharing his story about how he, you know, decided to go pararescue because he didn't know what he was going to do. His father, his name's Jason Sweet, his father was a pararescue man, and he was in college, didn't really know what he wanted to do, and he, you know, he's a big man of faith and he prayed about it and, you know, said, hey, God, when I wake up in the morning, uh, give me a phone call from my dad, you know, telling me what I need to do next. And sure enough, he woke up the next morning and there was a phone call uh, from his dad that he had missed. And he called his dad back and his dad said, hey, Jason, you know, there's someone I want to introduce you to down at uh, the pararescue headquarters. And that's kind of how his journey started. And he became a pararescue man and he's since out of that and I was super inspired by that story and you know I prayed really hard about it that night and was like it it sounds kind of corny and stuff and I had (laughs) you know total total faith that God was going to answer you know you know my call because I was like gosh do I want to like pursue potentially being a Navy SEAL do I want to be a PJ or should I just stick to the firefighting thing you know is this just some buzz in the head that's trying to get me off the track and yeah. I prayed really hard about it. I had faith and I said, this is the corny part. I said, God, have the first thing on my Instagram feed tomorrow morning be what I'm going to do next. I was like, it's a shot in the dark. And I was like, because I follow firefighting pages. I follow some pararescue pages and uh, I follow some Navy SEAL pages as well. So I was like, God, you know, whatever's on the feed. Because I had at this time, I didn't have any connection whatsoever uh, to this community and stuff so that was the only connection I had had and when I uh opened up my phone that morning I checked and it was uh the first thing on my feed was a photo of the uh Alaska Air National Guard pararescue unit doing training in Alaska and that's you know I was like all right I'm gonna take this as a sign and say like hey I'm gonna try to pursue this so some people might say like hey that's not a sign at all but you know, I think it is. It's a so. clever Instagram algorithm based on your. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me was like really hoping you're gonna be like, and now I make cupcakes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know, it it could be chance or it it couldn't, but you know, I don't think it's gonna hurt me, you know, to try to do this and stuff. And I'm really interested in that job as well. And stuff. I still want to do firefighting. That's not it's not off the table to clarify. Yeah. So the pararescue thing is kind of a stepping stone, but uh, a big stepping stone that's gonna. And you know, if I do that and I get selected and I like it enough, I'm gonna definitely stay there for a while, at least until my body doesn't, you know, shuts down. <laughs> <laughs> that's. That's crazy. I mean, you yeah. just hear the word special ops and know that there is a ton that goes into being prepared to do that. Not just, I mean, obviously physically, it's some, those are some of the most fit people in the world, mm-hmm. but also mentally like that, 
that's a lot to put yourself through. That's a lot, all the stress tests and situational yeah. things like you, you have to be strong mentally to get through those kind of things. And yeah, definitely. That is, that is a commitment. Um, it's a commitment to prepare for and it's a commitment to see through. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if it doesn't, you know, work out for whatever reason, you know, I've been exercising a ton, you know, at least once a day for two hours and stuff. And it's, uh, at least I'll have that, you know, if it doesn't work out. So whatever it's going to, it's going to help me and not, not harm me towards the firefighting goal. So, yeah. Man. Um, (laughs) I kind of did Jake a disservice earlier. We were supposed to have a different topic and I forgot (laughs) to write it down in my notes. And then in the middle of you talking, I was like, Oh, I threw Jake under the bus. Um, (laughs) So we can do that now or we can do it later. (laughs) Uh, Up to you. (laughs) Uh, let's do it now. So, I mean, I wrote it down this time, so I wouldn't forget, but. <laughs> so I, here's a fun, lighthearted activity we can all do. I feel um, so bad. I'm an idiot. You should. Uh, so last episode, we did a, a fun little question debate thing. And it's a dark hour. I'm probably open a window. But, um, today's question, yesterday we did the hard to soft taco conversation. And I was the minor- minority, which was a surprise. And, I was right, so it didn't mean anything to me. Team Soft Tacos. Uh, so this one is, do you keep your maple syrup in the fridge or in the cabinet? So you just mean like pancake syrup in general? Yeah, like maple syrup. Okay. Uh, I keep, I do not chill my syrup. I keep it out. Mine, uh, mine stays in the fridge. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> I was hoping someone would have that side because I was like, oh no, this might go horribly wrong if no one puts it in the fridge. Because <laughs> yeah, things I... like that, if it's cold, it flows slower. It feels more like clumpy and together. Like I want the syrup to be able to spread, to be able to soak into the pancake right away, or the I... waffle or whatever. And I Does, feel like I don't know cold, if the temperature affects that. That's also like my thing is like, I don't think, I think it comes out slow no matter what. So I don't know if that is it, but I just feel better with it. Be, like, I don't want to be a cold spot on my waffle. Like, Yeah, that's the other, like mixing a hot uh, pastry or whatever with a cold topping, unless it's like whipped cream, but that's different. Um, you know what happens when you mix hot and cold things? Tornadoes. <laughs> I don't want a tornado for breakfast. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, I don't eat, I don't notice it, you know, when I'm having it, I don't, I have this weird feeling of like liquid things sitting outside of the fridge for a long period of time just doesn't sound like right, you know, so it's like so something is going to grow on it. <laughs> Not if it's sealed and not sitting around for you. And I think what? it's too sugar too. Like, sugary stuff is fine to, like, leave, leave out for a bit, isn't it? No, sugary attracts the bacteria. That's how bacteria grows. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what about, like, butter? Do you keep your butter out or do you keep it in the fridge? In the fridge. 
in the fridge. That is one of my biggest pet peeves when my mom leaves butter out. Every time I see butter left out, I will throw it away. No, nah, because, like, if you're going to make toast, you don't want to have to sit there and wait for the butter to microwave it. I want to be able to spread it. Microwave it for, like, ten seconds. I, you're going to microwave just... the entire stick of butter out of the fridge and then put it back in the fridge after? Yeah. No. You feel like you gonna, no, if you leave butter out, I will throw it away every time I see it. I feel like it's if you... It's yeah. a dairy product. Dairy cannot be outside of a controlled temperature for a long period of time. I have never had a negative bodily reaction to butter being out and easy to cut and spread. Must I think that you might just eat too much butter, that the butter doesn't have I, enough time I to... <laughs> I literally never eat butter. Like, I never even eat toast. But if I did, that's what I would want. I hate having to, like, scrape, because then you're tearing the bread apart while you're putting it on it. No. <laughs> um, beans are kind of started already. Uh, waffles or pancakes? Waffles. Pancakes. Waffles. Definitely pancakes. You can have chocolate chip pancakes. You can have blueberry pancakes. You can pancakes have chocolate chip waffles. Oh, yeah. That's weird, waffles, though. Waffles, you put toppings, and they sit in... They have... <laughs> they have Nothing is more satisfying. Folders of toppings on them. The toppings no, just mm. fall off the pancake, but it sits in the waffle. Nothing, Nothing more satisfying than filling up each of the pockets with syrup. Yeah, that's the best part. Little squares. If I only was e- eating it with syrup, I would. But because of the added ingredients, I have to say that pancakes uh, are definitely better. You, you can't beat chocolate chip pancakes. Yeah, I feel you if you make chocolate chip waffles, they're just getting smushed and stuff in there, and it's weird. It can't like you, you, you know. I mean, I lean French toast over either of those, but. Oh yeah. I, I like French toast, but. I feel like a waffle and a pancake are more everyday items than French toast. Yeah, French toast takes a little more work. Can you tell your French toast story? I can. Um, So I have a friend named Rory who, for whatever reason, missed a couple days of childhood simple baking instruction. And so in college, he lived with a group of our friends. There was at that point, I think there was six or seven of them in the house. And so people would just make food randomly. They'd ask who wanted some, whatever. So they had prepared a, you know, the French toast mixture because you got to do the eggs and whatever. And then um, you go about making it. Well, Rory had never made French toast before. So the mixture is sitting there on the counter. Rory takes bread. He puts it in the toaster and makes toast. And then he dips it in the batter and just eats it. <laughs> and he was confronted about this and didn't think he'd done anything wrong. <laughs> and he was quickly shown the error of his ways. But that's one of my favorite stories. About that's Rory. great. That's great. So, so for that's those so listening, bad. dip it and then cook it. <laughs> It's raw egg. You gotta cook the raw egg. Yeah. That... <laughs> I took a cooking but, class in like eighth grade, and that was like the first thing they taught us is never eat raw egg. <laughs> I don't remember learning to cook anything in my home ec class. I remember making, learning how to sew and making an apron, and that's like the one and only time I've ever gotten an F on an actual project. 
<laughs> my apron was hot trash. We and cooked for like three weeks and we did what it, like we all submitted a recipe and they, they chose my recipe for a piece of chicken. And so but I did my recipe out in front of the class. And then we did that, and then we repaired a car for three weeks. And then he, like, taught us, like, accounting for, like, three weeks, and it was terrible. Accounting? In eighth <laughs> wow. grade, he, like, attempted to teach us, like, how to do our taxes and stuff like that. And, like, me and my friends are like, so when do we, like, fix the car and cook? <laughs> <laughs> what did the car fixing look like? Now, was that on a jack or anything? Or, you know, what it kind of... It was just, like... He bought, like, this really old, like, nice, like, Corvette, and he just, like, parked it in, like, the parking lot of our school, and, like, he would do the work, like, on the car, but show us how to do it, pretty much, and it wasn't even, like, I don't think I learned anything other than change a spark plug, which I don't think I could do now. <laughs> like, he told us how to, like, on him. He told us how to change a tire and like that, which I kind of, I could do that easily, but, um... He didn't really teach us anything like too too hard, but it was all pretty much basic stuff. Pretty smart on him to use his paid teaching time to restore his car. He was also the principal, so it's like he could do whatever he wanted. Yeah. (laughs) As the principal, he kind of just did his own thing. Just work on your car all day and say that, oh, I'm teaching my students how to work on cars. We did. We made breakfast in that class. We made lunch and we made dinner. I was dinner with a cheese and chicken. And then we made a dessert. And desserts, I just remember going terribly wrong because I just remember cake batter everywhere. <laughs> I didn't realize your cheese it chicken was that old of a recipe. Uh, we've been making it since I was in like fourth grade. It's, it's basically breaded chicken, but it's breaded with cheese it. That sounds actually really good. It's in, it's it by far it's, my favorite thing. It's so good. It's pretty wow. good. I forgot okay. you had it. Yeah, you made it for us. Do it again. <clears throat> All right, back to real conversation. <laughs> I need to. From now on, I'm gonna make sure I put that in my notes because I was like, I'll remember, and then I didn't, and I'm dumb. Um, I gotta start doing research for the next one. <laughs> so you mentioned uh reading leadership books and stuff and so we did um i wanted to ask how did the topic not everybody is super stoked on the idea of leadership like we all acknowledge that it's important but we don't all necessarily spend a lot of time studying it figuring out what makes good leaders trying to implement those things into our own lives we just know that there are people in our lives who like you seem to be a good leader. I'm going to follow you. Or we do that subconsciously. We just instantly attach to people. So what is it about the idea of leadership that has drawn you in so much? Um, I'll ask other questions later. But like, yeah, what what is it something that happened recently? Is it something you've been thinking about for a long time? How has the idea of leadership all of a sudden been become such an instrumental part of your life? Yeah, you know. I didn't really get into it until about like the last year or so. Um, that's kind of when I became interested in it and stuff. And, you know, my grandfather uh, gave me a book called uh, Discipline Equals Freedom by Jack Willink. I, br- I brought the books out today because I knew you were going to ask me about them. Right. So I've got – so this was the first book. I got it from uh, my grandfather. And, you know, I had read it here and there and then I kind of 
you know, read it some more and did some more research on the author. He's a retired Navy SEAL from SEAL Team 3. And he had some other books. This one, you know, Discipline Equals Freedom was more about yourself and self-improvement. But I saw he had some other leadership books, and he had one that had just come out called The Dichotomy of Leadership. And I don't have that one with me. I lent it to a friend, but I decided to order the book and just out of curiosity to see, you know, if I was going to like this and stuff. And I read it and I've like never read a book so fast. I ate it up. I like loved it. And I don't, I don't really know to say like, oh, this is like why I liked it. It was just like everything was interesting and everything was like, wow, this makes sense. You know, if I do this, like, like that, that's what good leaders do and stuff. And that's kind of what was the catalyst for, you know, starting to read the leadership books. And as I've told Jacob in the past, the laundry list of leadership books to read just keeps increasing. I'm like, oh, I'm getting, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to be able to read these in the next six months. And it's like, no, I've got like 20 books on the list now that I've got to read. But that's how that started. And, you know, I don't think I can pinpoint it to one thing as saying like, that's why, but I'm just really interested in how to lead people because I haven't been in an extremely like important leadership role yet, you know, not, you know, a leader at a company or something like that or in the military or even in firefighting, but I just want to be as most prepared, you know, have the most tools in my arsenal for when I, when I get there. Cause I think that's, a big fear of like being a bad leader and stuff because that can lead to a lot of problems and stuff, you know, depend, especially in the kind of the line of work that I want to get into. So, yeah. So in the, have all of the books you've read been written by people in the military or has it kind of branched out a little bit? Um, So far, yes, but there are some on my reading list that are not from people in the military and stuff you know just what i've found is like the the military kind of has that leadership structure yeah i think most leadership books tend to kind of come out of the military so to say and i think the most popular ones come out of there too because most people are willing to read and listen to those kind of people you know if you say like oh i was the chief financial advisor for blah 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 if people really aren't you know, going to yeah. be too interested in reading your <laughs> leadership stuff, even though you're probably going to have some good things to say, you know, it's probably not so, going to be very popular. So that's kind of, I wouldn't call it a hesitation because <laughs> obviously the military does a really good job of creating a hierarchy of leadership and establishing this is who you follow and listen to and here's mm-hmm. why. And people get promoted for a reason to be in those positions. But it's also like because that's how it's set up it's very easy to establish who is in control and who has power. And so authority is just assumed based on position. Obviously you had to earn it, but it feels as somebody who has never been in that type of situation in any way, shape or form, it would feel like just because I showed up and I was now part of, you know, this organization and this person has this position, I instantly have to listen to them. Yeah. And so that feels like, you know, again, I know that they have earned that. So I'm going to listen to them because I know they've done the work to appoint themselves there, but I'm obligated to follow them as opposed to choosing to follow them 
based on me knowing who they are and making that choice for myself. Yeah. So how would you kind of describe that process in terms of you have to follow them because that is how the system is set up versus you choose to follow them because they've earned that right in your eyes. Okay. So what do you want to know? Kind of, kind of, I'm trying to figure out like, yeah, uh, I didn't really phrase that as much of a question. I like, what is your initial reaction to that? I guess, what is, do you see that as a, a, a problem is a little strong, but do you see that as something that could be challenging in certain ways? Do you see that as maybe a hindrance or a benefit to leadership? Like, what does that look like in your mind? You know, yeah, a hundred percent, you know, definitely. Um, that could be, it is an issue. Um, and I've seen that come up personally, you know, with even my search and rescue unit, my search and rescue unit somehow, well, our rank structure mirrors that of the Coast Guard, which is also a branch of the military. People may or may not know that. Um, but it mirrors that. And I've had the experience of following you know, good leaders and both poor leaders and stuff. And you got to listen to them simply because as you put it, they're in that position. It doesn't mean they're good. And they talk about that in these leadership books, even from the military guys. Hey, just because someone is in that position doesn't mean that they're going to be a good leader. And most of the time they're, they're probably not. Um, it's just the reality, which which just seems so counterproductive. Yeah, exactly. And you know, what are the percentages? Who, how many of higher ranking officials, officers are actually good leaders versus aren't like that would be a crazy study that the military would never invest its time in because it's so invested in this structure that they yeah. don't dare undermine it in any way. But and it's hard to measure, too, because you might see success in certain fields like, you know, Patton, General Patton from World War Two mm-hmm. had extreme success, you know, in the war and stuff. But, you know, if you read about. He had really strict discipline records and his men may or may not, you know, have approved of him, you know, so well because they didn't, you know, like, you know, his tough discipline and stuff. And so, you know, there's that aspect. Yeah. And and the military kind of is. Especially in a war situation, Mm -hmm. it's very task oriented. It's very, right. this is what we need to do. This is what we need to accomplish. This is what we need to have happen. So it's not, it doesn't come down to, are my men going to follow me and believe in me because they like me, trust me, respect me? Mm-hmm. Are the men going to do what I need them to do because they know I know what I'm talking about? Because they know that I know the right strategy. I'm giving these orders because that's what needs to happen. The the method of delivery doesn't matter. The personability of how I communicate it doesn't matter. As long as you do what I say, we're going to accomplish what we need to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that that's tough for me to just process in terms of like what just because you're a good military leader doesn't mean you're a good leader. Um, but I have almost no experience personally with that. So, yeah. Um, I mean, wherever you go, you're going to find people who are in, you know, positions, especially if you even like work for a company here. Um, there could be someone who 
he's in a high up position that isn't a good leader either. So it's not exclusive to the military. Um, no group is, you know, exempt from yeah. it. Um, is, you know, Jocko, the guy who writes some of these books has said in the past, he was like, you know, he was on the SEAL teams and he said most of the people who were in leadership positions, even on the SEAL teams, were not good leaders. And you, and you think like such like a high level unit like that having yeah. like poor leaders, like that doesn't make sense. But, um, I think it's something that is very hard to judge on the surface. You need to spend a lot of time with a person and observing them and stuff to say like, Hey, like this person's solid, a yeah. good leader and stuff. I don't think companies, units in the military as well don't have a whole lot of time to look at that. You know, I don't think there's some grandioso solution to that problem. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And like Jake and I obviously come from the realm of like, we are very invested in sports and it's very easy in sports to see who good leaders are and who good leaders mm-hmm. aren't because those are the players and coaches who tend to be much more successful. And even if you are the most talented player, if you don't prove to be a good leader, that comes out. Because mm-hmm. you have, like, as a coach, if the players aren't following you, that is very obvious. If you lose the team, if you lose the room, if you don't know how to engage the players correctly, they can be the most talented players. But part of being a the coach of a pro sports franchise is being able to manage personalities and get people to all be willing to abide in a system together and genuinely want to produce for the success of the team. And so you have to, that has to work out because players mm-hmm. have the opportunity to go somewhere else. If they feel like this coach or this system isn't what they want to be a part of, they can make that known and they can go on to something else. Um, whereas in other organizations, it doesn't, it's not as easy to do that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And just as, as a player, as a team captain or something, some of the most talented players ever were people that other players hated to play with that they didn't want any part of. And you can, you can hate players. You can hate coaches and still be willing to accept their leadership. Nobody likes Bill Belichick, the Patriots coach, but (laughs) people are willing to go into that setting because they know that he has a system in place that everyone is abiding in, that he is going to get the most out of every single player and that it is going to work and be successful. And you can't argue that because 20 years later, they are still one of the most, they are probably the most successful franchise over the course of 20 years in the history of pro sports. To do what they did in football is insane. And they did it with what most people would consider not the best players at any given time. Did they have some really talented players over the course of time? Yes. Did they have maybe the best quarterback of all time? Yes, that can be argued as Jake uh, gets upset in his head, but, <laughs> but you would, you would no. look at the players that they brought in would, you wouldn't think, Oh, these are phenomenal players that are instantly making this team better. Or they would have really good players and they would let them leave. And you would think, why are they letting a really good player leave? Well, it's because the system they establish under him, everyone is willing to accept. This is how this works. We're all, we're all part of the system. We're all accepting this form of leadership from him. Even if we don't like him, we like, you know, players are choosing to come there. Players are choosing 
to be a part of that organization, knowing that he is going to get the most out of, out of those players for that system, for the success of the team. Um, and so I rambled there, but like for me, that, that is a sign of good leadership in the same way that a lot of college coaches, specifically basketball, um, but football too, they like, they are recruiting. They are going into the homes of athletes, going to their families saying, I want your player to be on my team. I am going to take care of them. I am going to turn them into a phenomenal athlete and a phenomenal person. And that is how you sell players on coming to the school. Cause you know, the parents are in those conversations. The parents aren't going to send their, their child to some random person that they don't trust to lead their child properly to be not just a great athlete, but to be a great person. And you hear all these stories of particularly young men who come back and say that their college coach was probably the most important person in their life outside of their parents because of that shaping time, um, because of how they treated them as an individual in getting them to the next step of life as an athlete and as a person. Um, and that, that really, the, the number of books and stuff written by coaches on leadership. I mean, I default to John Wooden all the time, and I don't know if you've gotten around to reading any John Wooden books, but if they're not on your list, they need to be. <laughs> um, but I mean, that's, that's just easy for me to reference because that's my sphere of mm-hmm. sports, of watching sports, of knowing this coach is awesome. Like I would love to play for that coach if I were in that position or this player really leads his team. Cause you can look at players like, Jordan, Kobe, and LeBron, they all led differently, but they all drove their teams to success in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because of who they were and the people being willing to join up with them and follow their lead in that way. And sometimes players aren't sure what they're in for. Somebody like Dwight Howard joins the Lakers and can't handle Kobe Bryant yelling at him all the time, and it doesn't work out, and he's got to go. Some people are willing to step into that, and some people are not. But I think success, success is a major mark of leadership, but it shouldn't be um, the primary goal. The ends don't always justify the means. Right. Um, there is bigger picture than just results-based things. So I, I didn't really have a jumping off point any further than that. This is why I want you to get on your show because I want to hear the stuff. The, yeah. And you bring in. Hear another perspective that you I brought necessarily have. Tons of concepts that I'm seeing kind of overlap in, you know, in these books and stuff. And what I like about, you know, these books I've read, uh, at least from Jocko, is he takes kind of the general lessons that he learned from the military. And I think something that you talked about is like, well, they're taking these not so star players or not, you know, the top players and being su- extremely successful. You know, you were talking about the Patriots there and, you know, a lot depends on, you know, the attitude of the player and something that Jocko brought up that's really interesting is the fact that each person is going to have to be led in a different way, you know, dynamically. You can't use the same, you know, flatline uh, leadership strategy for every single person because every single person is going to react differently to how you are leading your team. And you need to make fine-tuned adjustments to how you're leading certain people. Some people are going to need to be pushed more, and some people are going to need more hands-off leadership and stuff. And that's something that you have to make the judgment call, and a lot of people 
have difficulty making judgment calls like that in leadership as to like, well, how much do I need to tone it up for this person? You know, when do I need to yell? Uh, when is it proper to yell? You can't yell all the time because every, all your players on your team are just going to be totally scared of you and not talk to you when issues yeah. are coming up on the team. Um, because as a leader, you're not, you're probably not going to know everything that's going on on the team and stuff. Um, so you need to be able to be approachable as well and stuff. But one of my favorite examples of that idea is each, each person needs each person requires a different form of leadership mm-hmm. bestowed upon them was, is the, in remember the Titans, the movie. Yeah. Um, when specifically Petey, cause we all know the, you know, hold on that ball, Petey. Um, but coach Boone would just yell at Petey all the time. And every time he yelled at Petey, Petey reacted negative, reacted negatively to it. And one of the other coaches would go over, Coach Yost would go over and, you know, have a different method of like talking to him and stuff. And Petey says, I can't, I can't do it when he's yelling at me. I can't step up to that. Like that hurts. That, you know, makes me worse when I get yelled at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, dang, that is true. Like yelling at certain players really motivates them and gets them angry and, and they go out and they play better and yelling at some players really just crushes their spirit and takes them out of the game. Um, and so, I mean, that movie came out like 1999. So I was a freshman in high school, I think when I saw it, maybe a sophomore in high school when I saw it. And so that, you know, that was like, wow, that really is important in terms of every, and not just being in leadership. Like that's just a life thing that we can't, exactly. we can't treat everybody. The the idea of, you know, the golden rule, treat us, cheat others as I want to be treated. Well, if I decide that I am somebody that needs to be yelled at to be motivated to do things, that doesn't mean somebody else, that doesn't mean I get to yell at other people because that's what I would want to be done to me. That's not, that's not how that works. Um, I'm not intentionally countering what Jesus said. (laughs) I think the (laughs) lesson, the lesson there is the way I want people to treat me is I want them to, you know, guide me and lead me in what is appropriate for me. And as a result, I should guide and lead people in what is appropriate for them. Um, and I think that's a really important idea is as leaders, like that is one of the tasks and responsibilities of being a leader is being cognizant of who it is that is following you and what is the best way to administer to them? What is the best way to get them to see their full potential and push them in that way? And if you have a, a hundred people under you, that is a hundred different ways that you have to go about being a leader. Yeah. Even if, even if a lot of them are very, very similar, no two are going to be exact. And that's one of the hardest things about being in leadership is knowing how to do that. One of the hardest things about being a teacher is having However many kids in your classroom, knowing every single one learns differently. Every single one has a different method of getting to an answer, a different method of participating in the classroom. And as the teacher, you are the sole person in that room responsible for making sure that that happens as often as possible, that each kid feels like they are being attended to. And it's really, really hard. That's why good leadership is so important and really hard to find. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, if you think back to some of your favorite teachers, um, they probably weren't 
the most fun teachers, you know, who just uh, let you goof off in class all day. It probably was the teacher who spent time with you and, you know, helped you learn the way you needed to learn and stuff. So, yeah. Jake, thoughts? (laughs) On what? Leadership in general. I don't know. What are, what are a couple people in your guys' lives that you felt like those are people who I have been led really well by? Those are people who have been really good examples of what it means to be a leader. People who have pushed me and challenged and, and gotten the most out of me because of who they were and how they treated me. Well, um, I feel like you are one of them for me. Um, Cindy Stone is also another one kind of like that. Because she like put me in the position at camp and she believed in me. But yeah, she's still a very good leader to us because she teaches us what we're really supposed to do and teaching us forever. Um, like just a few teachers and like my head coach from track, Coach Howard, was a big influence on me too. He once called me son on stage and I cried. <laughs> what about you Antonio um you know one that comes to mind at least you know my uh high school cross country coach similar to Jake and his track coach um he did really well at just getting you motivated and stuff and he would always spend time you know talking about you how your run went and stuff you know what you could improve stuff like that and he, it, it was easy to work with him. I hear tons of people who, I hated my coach X, Y, and Z, you know, he's so mean and this and that, but my coach was, you know, I, at least, you know, for a leadership strategy for when someone's leading me, I'm not into the whole, you know, yelling thing and like, you know, I can take it, you know, to an aspect, but I don't like the yelling thing and, you know, that's not the kind of support I need to do you know, what I need to do. I'm a lot more um, self-governing. You know, if you tell me to do something, it's like, okay, let me do it, you know, and we're good. And he was just like that, you know. He didn't yell at you if you had something that came up a conflict. He was understanding. And uh, that was really good and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, the idea of being, being an athlete, and being led is like, I don't need you to tell to yell at me that I did something wrong because I'm fully aware that I did something wrong and you are not going to be any more mad at me than I'm already at myself. Yeah. <laughs> so you getting mad isn't helpful. If you have, you know, tell me what it was that I did wrong or like help me see how it can be better. And, you know, that communicate in a way that is like, okay, we're going to move forward from this, not berating me for the mistake I made because I'm fully aware that I made a mistake. And I don't need you yelling at me because I'm already upset at myself. Um, so that's, yeah. For me, one of the best leaders that I've been around was the former high school pastor over at Long Beach Grace, Steve Gross. Um, he was the first person that I ever, I guess you could say mentored under, like somebody where I was in a position under somebody else where I looked up to him and what he did and really valued that and watched how he just did things um the way he communicated with staff the way he treated his family the way he was intentional with students the way he was intentional 
with leaders, checking in, um, setting a hard, you know, setting a hard line on certain things, but being willing to be fun and creative in other ways, like having the full range of allowing people to fully be themselves um, while also, you know, reining it in when necessary and pointing in a certain direction when necessary. Um, he, like, he's the reason that I'm even in youth ministry. He's the reason that I have any, that I've had any of the positions I've had was because watching him do what he did really made me want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can point to a couple like father figures, um, Bob Tyler, Chris Turner as people who are mm-hmm. insanely hardworking professionals who do anything for their family and their number one goal is to support and provide for their family at all costs. And so while they are insanely good at what they do professionally, their role as husbands and fathers um, from what I've seen and what I've gotten to experience and the way that they lead their families through really good, awesome times and through really tough, hard times has been incredible. So um, those are some of the people that, that have really stood out in that way for me. Um, So it's important if you're listening to this, like think about those people in your life. Who are the people in your life that are inspiring you, that are leading you, um, that you want, that you want to be like, we should be looking to our leaders and wanting to be like them. We should be wanting to do what they do. That's why Paul writes in all his letters, like he frequently writes, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Watch how I live my life. Watch how the spiritual leaders in your life live and do what they do because that's how we become better versions of ourselves. We don't need to be exactly like them in every shape and form, but in the ways that you see them being productive members of society, being productive family members, being really good professionals at what they do, mimic those things. That's why we have leaders so that we can see how they act and follow in those footsteps. So um, that's a challenge too. All of you who are listening, however many that may be. Um, <laughs> so we've we've mentioned faith has come up a lot, and that's a big part of what we do. So we are interested in that aspect of your life. Kind of give us a rundown. What what is your faith journey look like from an early age to now? What what has yeah <laughs> yeah. So I uh, grew up initially. Um, Basically Roman Catholic. You know, I was baptized, all that, Roman Catholic, all that. That's where my mother came from. My mother went to Catholic school. She had a strong, strong Catholic uh, background. But uh, my parents separated when I was about five, and I, my dad's Lutheran, so a little different, uh, a little more on the Protestant side there. <laughs> And I would go to church with him, and then I'd go to church with my mom. So I had both sides. Of, I didn't even know there was a difference back then. <laughs> um, I was just like, oh, okay, we're going to church. Um, but I kind of fell out of it, I want to say, like, late middle school, early high mm-hmm. school. You know, wasn't interested in it, didn't even think about it at all, wasn't on the table and stuff, and... It's uh, my current girlfriend, uh, Joy, who kind of like woke me up. And then I was like, why am I not, you know, really invested in this? You know, why am I not, you know, going to church, getting involved, that kind of thing? And it was also 
at the same time, uh, Kyle Van Lant, which is very ironic. Um, Kyle Van Lant, who was like, Hey man, come to embody youth group, um, over here at Grace Bread. And I was like, all right, sure. You know, I'll go. He invited me. I went to, um, the all nighter. That was my first event ever, uh, with embody was the all nighter, like, Probably like four years ago now, three or four years yeah. ago. Um, the junior year or sophomore year? It was one of the two. I think sophomore year was when I went. I think it was the sophomore year one. And I had a blast. And a few months later is when I started going to Embody Youth Group. And that's kind of when things started taking off. I got more invested in stuff um, with that. I had been going there for a while. And then I got into college. Uh, and then I started going to Seacoast Grace, which is a church over in Cyprus, because my girlfriend was going there. So I was like, okay, I'll go, you know, to the young adult services there. And then she moved out. She went to Whittier, and I kind of stayed there. I've been there uh, since I started volunteering with the junior high and stuff, and I, I had been doing that until all this quarantine stuff started yeah. happening. I haven't been uh, doing much, you know, on the volunteer side there. Um, cause there's not much to do really. <laughs> and yeah, so that's kind of where I am right now, uh, with that. And I've started to, I, just before the quarantine thing, I had started to go back, uh, to Grace on Sunday mornings and stuff with my family. Um, but now no, because there is no church service <laughs> in the morning on Sundays. So, so what is, what has, church quote-unquote look like for you while all this is going on are you watching live streams do are you a part of any like you know calls and studies or whatever what does that look like not much i've uh watched one of the live streams at seacoast they just did like their first one last week on sunday um i wasn't there for that one but i did uh i watched the easter service at grace they did like an easter thing um for grace online so i watched uh that with my family but um no it's kind of just been more personal stuff during this quarantine i haven't really done too much of the live sessions and no one's as far as i know like the whole uh junior high volunteering that i was doing has kind of been dead um yeah, I, they're still doing the live sessions, but they just don't need, you know, I was a small group leader and stuff. And yeah, they're just producing content to watch. Yeah, really. exactly. So I haven't uh, been asked, you know, like, oh, hey, where are you? Or, hey, like, we need you to do this. So I was kind of like, okay, I'm just on the back burner <laughs> for now. Um, so were, had you joined that just this school year? Joined How what? Have you been, oh, the junior high, helping with junior high. Uh, a little over a year now. Yeah, I had okay. started uh, last year that I was doing it. This is, I'm in my second year of doing it. School year, I'm referring to Got school. Year, yeah. So, yeah. Started in like September of, what is it? 2018. 20... Yeah, September yeah. 2018 is when I started. Yeah. So, props, I can't do middle schoolers. You know, it's really. <laughs> Tough. I'm like trying to get their attention. All they talk about is Fortnite and stuff and games and this and that. And I was like, oh, like, cause we usually do a video message or something from the pastor. Um, 
because I volunteer on Saturday nights. They have two services on Sundays and one on Saturday night. And the junior high pastor at Seacoast usually goes to the service on Saturday night. So they show a video message and the kids will watch that. Then we'll break out into small groups. And the first question is always like, what stood out to you from the video? And they're like, oh, Matt's hair was this and that or something. <laughs> totally like not what we're trying to get at. Yeah. No. Is Matt the the junior high pastor too? Yeah, Matt's the junior high pastor. Uh, Matt Sam, I, I don't, his last name's hard to pronounce. I yes. can't. Sam Prani, I think. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's, yeah, he's the young adults and the junior high pastor. Oh, he's young adults also. Yeah. But he's been doing content for high school too. I think, yeah, I feel like they use the same. Yeah. yeah. He does a lot. So yeah. it's big church. Um, I, yeah. I used to go to Seacoast when, um, when Travis and Travis was the charge of uh, the high school group. In the mm-hmm. Travis and Cody. It was a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah. So what was it besides besides the girlfriend, and that's pretty a uh, motivating factor. What else <laughs> was it uh, that brought you back to like being involved, being serious about your faith? Like was was it something just about remembering who Jesus was or how God was working in your life? Like what else? Cause it would be very easy to return to it and just be there just to be there. But what kind of re-energized that for you? Um, yeah, that's a great question. You know, kind of just, you know, it, I wasn't even, you know, when I had fell out of it, I wasn't even thinking about it, you know, at all. Yeah. And it, it kind of sprung up as like, Hey, this is really important. You know, I want to have a relationship uh with Christ and that kind of solidified me going to it and I said like you know this is important for my spiritual growth to go and volunteer help out to invest more time in it and it was just you know for me you know just have you know reading the word of just you know the disciples and everything that they observed and stuff and everything Jesus did it's like you know, is so powerful and, you know, hearing those messages and stuff. So what are a couple things specifically about Jesus that really draw you to him? Uh, as opposed to like others, like spiritual people? Well, I mean, like getting out, like Muhammad. No. opposed to Buddha, no. yes. <laughs> no, like as you, as you read, as we read about Jesus, there are certain aspects of his character, the things he does, the things he says that we all like kind of individually relate to or that stand out more to us based on our own personality. So what are a couple things about Jesus to you that are exceptionally interesting or draw you in more than the other parts of who he is. Yeah. Just his like ability to forgive, I think is what I've really seen is powerful and stuff. And, you know, there's the stories of him curing, you know, tons of people who have been, you know, were deemed as society as outcasts and stuff, yet he still helped them and stuff. And just his ability to, you know, forgive all their sins up to that point and stuff is just like, that's been so powerful because, you know, us as humans, sometimes, you know, we can hold on to a grudge as I'm sure we all know and stuff. And it's just like, yep. he just let go. And it was like, how, you know, well, how are you not 
angry at these people for doing these things and stuff and his just unconditional love for us and like that you know sacrifice you know being crucified on the cross is so powerful and just like how much he cared or cares you know about us is insane to me you know it's yeah uncomprehensible you know the amount he cared about everyone and it's like how do you even begin to do that in your own life like how can you (laughs) care about everyone forgiving all these people being so understanding and loving and stuff and you know even from a leadership standpoint he was like the ultimate he had like the right thing to say and knew everything at the right point in time. Like even if it was Bible. super confusing. Exactly. It was just like Wow, how did he <laughs> It's like how do you not believe that, you know, he is part of God, you know, when you hear? You know, it's he was so perfect. You yeah. know. It, that's just amazing to me. It blows my mind. That's yeah. one of the, so one of my favorite books ever is Mere Christianity mm-hmm. by C.S. Lewis. And there's a very, the kind of purpose of Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis did a few radio shows, I think in the 40s. Um, and so this book is basically a transcript of those radio shows and just these different topics. And so he talks about the books, the book itself is split up into four books. Mm -hmm. Um, Book one, right and wrong is a clue to the meaning of the universe. Book two, what Christians believe. Book three, Christian behavior. Book four, uh, beyond personality goes into other stuff. So they're each very topical conversations in regards to who is this person we believe to be Jesus? Who is God? Where do these ideas come from? And there's, um, at the end of one of the chapters, the most important sentence regarding faith that I've ever read in my life is, um, I want to find it and read it correctly, but I don't know that I'm going to find it right away. Um, but it's the idea that there are only two ways to think about Jesus based on everything we know about him, based on everything he has said. Um, what there are only two, two ways. And so here I found the paragraph. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. That was the most shaping description of Jesus I've ever heard in my life. Either he is who he says he was, or he's a lunatic. Yeah, and- I, there's you know a similar phrase to that. You always hear people like, oh, I don't believe that, but he was a good guy and stuff. And it's like, well, like from your definition – He's a filthy liar if you don't think like (laughs) he totally lied and like deceived all these people and stuff. And you like think that he was good and stuff. So, yeah. So kind of, I don't know if that helped this. So the next question kind of might have a similar answer, but what is it? Or based on what I just read, I've probably read that a poor time. What is it about? God that makes you know that this is true. Like, why are you sure that you believe that God is real and that that is the real truth that exists? Yeah. I mean, beyond the aspect of like faith and trust, you know, for me, what's really uh, solidified it was, you know, the disciples. Um, for me, if you look at their accounts and how it did, you know, during the time he was alive they were you know they followed him but they were afraid and you know you know some denied him as you know and but after the fact after he rose from the dead and they had all seen that and experienced that they all died terrible deaths standing up for jesus saying like this is true this is what we saw and stuff and someone wouldn't do that you know if they didn't see the great things that actually had happened and him rising from the dead so that's for me that's how i know that it's true and that the word is real and jesus is who he actually said who he was to be and he's not some lying lunatic running around in the (laughs) desert you know you know two thousand years ago so for me, that's that's it. Just the accounts of the disciples and how they totally their mindset and personality totally changed, you know, after um, the crucifixion. Yeah. Um, who are a couple people, either in your life personally or in the world bigger picture, who you really look up to as? like solid Christian leaders, people who've like influenced your faith a lot and helped you um, move forward in growing as a believer. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, you know, uh, my current pastor, Matt and stuff, um, just hearing, you know, his testimony and what he's, you know, gone through and how he was as uh, a kid and how he wasn't the greatest person and then just like that total um life switch and stuff and also hearing from pat you know back at grace brethren is totally powerful how he used to be in the military just in other life and he was totally mean to people and stuff and it's just like wow like this total 360 it's like so much respect because not a lot of people can like take their life and the course they're on and totally 360 flip it into a whole nother direction and really 
become a totally different person than who they were. And it's amazing and inspiring to see um, that story from both of them. In my opinion, more powerful than hearing the like, you know, story like me, like, well, I've been a Christian my whole life kind of thing. <laughs> like just yeah. hearing those people who came to faith and stuff. It's like, wow, that's amazing and stuff. And even my um, uh, friend, her name's uh, Jessie Faith. I don't know if you know her, but she goes to, she's one of the main head volunteers. Um, she's on staff now at uh, Seacoast uh, Grace um, for middle school and stuff. And she helps out with that. But hearing her testimony and stuff of how she was in college and stuff, and she was in a sorority and she was going to parties and all this and just, you know, hearing her testimony and how she totally flipped her life around from the path that it was on um, is inspiring. So yeah, just hearing those stories is really what's truly inspiring to me. Indeed. Um, So my last question as we prepare to end our time, um, what are a couple uh, Bible stories or verses in particular that have really stood out to you over the course of your faith life or are things that you can look back on um, as either foundational or that always just lift you up and encourage you? Like what are a couple that have stood out to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go over and grab my Bible in a second because I'm, I'm going <laughs> to read some. It's really close by. Um but, you know, just hearing, you know, mainly the testimonies of Jesus and, you know, what he did and stuff are always really powerful to read. And his yeah. actual words and um, his symbolic speech, um, like, I don't know the exact term for how you say it, of like how he would make things sound so confusing, but made <laughs> sense. Um, those are really uh, fun to read and stuff. But I really like reading about, you know, the works um he did, you know, the walking on water, another one. Um, but yeah, I, you know, the main books, uh, Matthew, um, John, and those, I like reading those. Let me grab my Bible. Really yeah, quick. I understand. But um, yeah, as I was saying, those and one that I've been reading uh, recently that I go back to uh, fairly often and stuff. I got to make sure I get the right bookmark here. Um, there we go. Um, isn't uh, it's in Philippians four, and I kind of go back to this. You know, if I'm ever uh, stressed with anything at all, whether it's school or something new, that yeah. I'm about to do and it's um philippians chapter 4 verses uh 4 through 9 and it's uh rejoice in the lord always i shall say it again rejoice your kindness should be known to all the lord is near have no anxiety at all but in everything make your requests known to god then the peace of god that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in jesus in christ jesus finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, 
then the God of peace will be with you. So that's, you know, when I've been going back to and stuff, it's like, you know, whatever is just, you know, whatever is good. If there's anything good in what I'm doing, you know, God is going to be there with me and stuff yeah. and he's going to help protect me uh, in this. So, yeah. That's, I love that that list because it's very easy for people to be like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know what it means to, to live a life that glorifies God. It's like mm-hmm. literally it's this list. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly. between, between the fruits of the spirit and between this list. If those are the things you're doing, if you are focusing on being on having self-control and being patient and doing those things. And if you are, if you are keeping your thoughts on what is holy and right and just, that's a, that's a pretty good pathway into what it, what it looked like. That's who Jesus was. Those are all things that Jesus did and acted and said. And if we are trying to mimic Jesus as much as possible, those things, if you had to like really cut it down into this is what it looks like. Yeah. Those two lists alone are a really good starting point. So yeah, exactly. And not even to mention the first part of what you read and talking about just how God's wisdom is all we need. Mm-hmm. Like leaning on exactly. him in that way um, is really, really cool. So thanks for, thanks for sharing those words. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, Jake, did you have anything else to ask or do here at the end? Um. I wanted to, no, I don't need to say that. Um... <laughs> I like how you, <laughs> as if I don't put you on the spot at the end of pretty much every episode. It's not like I'm just like, I just judge if I want to say it out loud or not, kind of what I was thinking, but eh, it's all fine. All right. Well, Antonio, thank you very much for making time and being on the show. Yeah, thank um, you so much for having me. I really appreciate we, it. We very much look forward to you starting yours and getting that going and sharing some wisdom and insight with us. We will pump that up as soon as it happens. I will keep bugging you to make it happen. Cause Please, I do. Want it. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jake, get us out of here. Yeah, thank you guys for listening. Um, like, uh, like, uh, like, wow, I lost track of what I was trying to say. Um, <laughs> doing two, doing two episodes in the span of, yeah, what, 15 hours is, uh, it's been rough. rough. I'm trying to think of like something better to, like, not better, but like something more to say. Um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I'm Jake Mappis. Uh, you could find, Information about us at FROMBBS, O-F-F-I-C-E. That's from Bob's office on all social medias. Um, yeah, I'm Jake Mathis. I, I, I kind of want to record every time you say I'm Jake Mathis because I feel like you say it three or four times each episode. And Fine, I'm not Jake Mathis. <laughs> no, just the number, Next time I I'll say it's something different, I guess. Thing to... <laughs> Uh, that's on me. Um, I'll just call myself my, uh, my Xbox name all the time, like every single time on Saturday, and you're just gonna get really confused. I, I'm not gonna be confused, cause I know that's what your Xbox name is, and it's fine. Crap. I just think it'd be really <laughs> funny for you to say it on the podcast. You should do that. You should make that happen. Or next time we have Jake and Jacob on, we all just go by our 
our screen names. That would be funny. Anyway, <laughs> time to go. I'm Jacob Bomber. Oh, <laughs> and I'm Antonio. <laughs> Have a great day, everybody.